There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With the Cowboys and Giants previews behind us, we move forward in the division to take a look at a team that had high hopes for 2015 but came up short in the Philadelphia Eagles. Can they rebound from a lousy 2015? And is Doug Peterson their answer? Brandon Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation joins us on the NFC East preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Three of the NFC East preview brings us to the Philadelphia Eagles number nine out of 14 episodes previewing the 2016 season for our beloved Chicago Bears. What's going on, everybody? Larry D back for the uh, for another NFC East preview. Like I said, it's the Eagles this time around. Brandon Gowton. From BleedingGreenNation.com, from SB Nation, will be joining us here in just a few moments to talk about this team. And, you know, as you hear me say to him, and if you guys remember last year, um, this was a team that had Super Bowl aspirations. And after the way that they performed in the preseason, I mean, it, it was one of those things where it's just like, you know, they performed so well, it became hard to ignore. Like, you know, usually brush off, oh, big deal, the Raiders were 4-0 in preseason and they finished 3-13, and so that shows you how much that matters. But with the way the Eagles played last season in the preseason, it was kind of hard to ignore. This team is going to be somebody to contend with, and it was a total crash-and-burn season. Chip Kelly didn't even make it through the entire schedule before he gets fired. They bring in a new head coach. They literally try to undo everything that Chip Kelly had a hand in, like all the players that Kelly brought in. They just about jettisoned all of them out. And uh, one, with one exception that I am going to ask Brandon about here uh, in a moment. But, um, you know, so much, so much happened in Philly, and none of it for the most part was good uh, for them in a division that was absolutely ripe for the taking because – Everybody had a bad year in 2015 with the NFC East. Um, you know, so in a year where where the division was was there for anybody who could sustain any kind of success, even momentarily, and the Eagles just couldn't keep it together uh, long enough to make that happen. Ended up missing the playoffs for a team that was supposed to contend uh, for the Super Bowl. So, uh, lots of disappointment. I'm sure Brandon has to share with us about how it went down last year. Uh, and everything so uh, we'll see what he has to say uh, about that Uh, like I said this is number nine you know the next show when we talk to Mike Carrar for the Washington Redskins we're in double digits and we are definitely on the downslope of this thing and um, you know getting ever so close getting you know ever so close to the to to training camp and the preseason and getting this thing kicked off Um, you know very highly anticipated season for the Bears this year want to see if uh, all of the new additions that Ryan Pace has has put into the into this team will they be able to um, make the mark that we hope they will and uh, looking forward to uh, to watching it all uh, unfold and 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 you know maybe these two divisions that we're playing this year can be as bad as they were last year so the Bears can uh, uh, you know rack up some wins in the process uh as well so that would be a good thing too so hopefully that all works out for us as we uh as we move along now when i originally recorded this segment on sunday i was uh gonna go on about how this uh or i did go on actually uh about how for the second or third episode in a row we had no no news to share the bears didn't make any headlines and uh there was uh this is that true 
that true lull period in the NFL in, in the NFL offseason where mini camps, uh, OTAs, and all that kind of stuff, it's done. All 32 teams have gone through the process, and every last one of them is on that six to eight week break between between those mini camps and the start of uh, training camp. So there's really, aside from some idiot, uh, you know. Um, players getting busted for this or arrested for that or making some kind of outside of football headlines there's not a lot going on in the NFL today and um, well I had the show all edited and ready to go since about Sunday afternoon that's when I actually talked to uh, Brandon was on Sunday afternoon got the show edited together um, a couple hours later and um, you know it was all ready to go out today on Tuesday um, because uh, I wanted to give the uh, the giant show with Chris Schwartz a couple of days to uh, to breathe and to give you guys a few days to breathe between episodes. Uh, and then I woke up this morning uh, to uh, tweets and um, you know people were 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 tagging me in in headlines and things like that about uh, about Buddy Ryan. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the architect of the single greatest defense to ever set foot on a football field. Uh, he passed away this morning. Uh, maybe it was last night, but he's he's definitely uh, he's definitely gone. Unfortunately, he was uh, 82 years old. And anyone who saw the the 85 Bears uh, 30 for 30 um, saw what kind of shape he was in. You know that uh, you know, man, it sucks that we got to get old. You know. And, um, you know, to see him in the condition that he was in, you know, just an old man, um, you know, nowhere near full of the, the piss and vinegar that, that we, he was famous for, you know, um, for, you know, especially for, for his days in Chicago, the, the lightning rod that he was when he was in Philadelphia. And then I don't know how many of you might remember this, but uh, in um, 93, he was hired as defensive coordinator of the uh, Houston Oilers. And at the time, the Oilers were one of my favorite teams in football because uh, after Sweetness retired, my favorite player in the NFL was a guy named Warren Moon. And uh, so I was following the Oilers. That was my team, you know, aside that was my AFC team, if you will. Um, you know, once that wasn't exactly giving me a lot to cheer about as far as the Bears were concerned. But so but the Oilers were one of those top teams in the AFC every single year. So at least I had one team to root for in the playoffs. And um, the Oilers actually started out 93 at like one in four and then rattled off 11 wins in a row. And a big reason for that was because finally the defense, the, the 46 that Buddy Ryan brought to Houston really took hold and became one of the best if not the best defenses uh, in football uh, that year and famously in week 16 the, the last game of the season Buddy Ryan got into a fist fight on the Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
sideline with Kevin Gilbride, who was the offensive coordinator for the Oilers. So there they are on their own sidelines, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator fighting each other. You know, just pull, <laughs> just, you know, Buddy actually punched him in the side of the head. And, uh, you know, so he what? he's 82 now. This was 24 years ago. So he's 58. He's so nearly 60 years old. He's punching this guy in the side of the head. They had to be separated and all that kind of stuff. But that's the kind of stuff that that Buddy Ryan was uh, was known for that, you know, being that emotional, you know, fiery guy. And this was a guy that. You know, very much, and we saw at the end of Super Bowl twenty when when the Bears celebrated, they carried two coaches off the field, Ditka and Buddy Ryan. So it was almost like the Bears had two head coaches. Maybe that's why they were so badass back in eighty five. You know, Ditka was the was the talking head. He was the you know, the um the face of the franchise, but uh, you know, Buddy Ryan was the other head coach and that's why the uh that's why they were as successful. Uh, as they were and uh you know like Ditka said uh, on America's game when they did the 85 Bears um you know I didn't win without him and he didn't win without me so maybe we were better off together uh than we were uh apart and um you know I think everyone would agree that that's probably true if but if Ditka and, and Buddy had stayed together for a couple more years they'd have they'd have they'd have won at least one or two more rings uh before uh you know before the before it was somebody else's turn. But uh, as great as the Bears were in 85, they really should have made a run in the 80s to uh, to be the 80s, you know, the, to be the team of the 80s. And, uh, you know, Buddy Ryan, a truly innovative guy, put together a defense that has yet to be duplicated uh, in its dominance. You know, the 2000 Ravens were good. Last year's team, the, the 2015 Broncos uh, were good, but they were not as great as those 85 Bears. I mean, almost it, it was almost unfair uh, the way that that team uh, dominated. And and Buddy Ryan took success like that with him all over uh, the league. You know, it uh, the, the league may have caught up and, and, and figured out the 46 defense, but he was able to make it a successful uh, defense for, for many, many, many years. And, um, you know, his legacy now is his son's, uh, Rex and Rob both together in, in Buffalo actually it's ironic that he passed away before this season when it's the first year that Rex and Rob are going to be working together uh, you know in the NFL uh, it's too bad that it that you know he couldn't wait out a year to see what uh, what what his boys would have been able to do together uh, in Buffalo but um, you know so it's just one of those things guys you know unfortunately it's uh um, it's it's actually not a very good day for sports at all because uh, before the news of Buddy Ryan uh, passing away broke, uh, Pat Summit, the uh, the head the legendary head coach for the for the for the Lady Vols at the University of Tennessee, she passed away uh, earlier today uh, as well. So you know how they say these things go in threes. I wonder who number three uh, is going to be. Um, but uh, you know, Pat Summit and Buddy Ryan. Both legends in their in their in their own right, you know. Arguably, Pat Summit could be is definitely in the discussion, in my opinion, with John Wooden about um, about being the greatest uh, college basketball coach of all time. She is the winningest coach for sure. She's got more wins than than any man uh, does at the the man uh, the the men's level or, or any any level for that matter. I don't know how far, how close Gino Ariema from uh, UConn is at this point. He may overtake that at some point but uh for now it's pat summit and um she passed away today and as you know pertains to us as bear fans buddy ryan passed away this morning so you know if you're inclined uh when you hit your knees tonight send one up for buddy looks like uh you know god wanted to mix it mix it up up there (laughs) so he brought uh brought one of his more interesting creations home uh to heaven so you know rest in peace buddy and condolences to the uh to the ryan brothers and to the 85 bears and anybody else that ryan that buddy ryan coached or whose life he touched and uh you know he was definitely one of a kind and he will not be uh he will not be forgotten so um that's my little tribute to um buddy ryan and now we move on 
and uh, finish up our, uh, or get started, I should say, with uh, Brandon Gowton from BleedingGreenNation.com to talk about the 2016 Philadelphia Eagles. Part three of our NFC East preview has us moving along to last year's second place finisher in the Philadelphia Eagles. And to help us preview the Eagles, we have uh, Brandon uh, Gowton from uh, Bleeding Green Nation uh, on SBNation.com. Brandon, welcome to the Chicago Bears Review. Hey, thanks for having me, Larry. So we have a lot to talk about, uh, Brandon. I mean, I was... The, the expectations for the Eagles going into 2015 were pretty high. Back-to-back 10-win mm-hmm. seasons for Chip Kelly to start things off. They they turn over the reins of the organization, essentially, uh, to him. He starts molding the, the organization in his image. And even after the preseason, I was guilty of saying, I know it's just the preseason, but it's hard to ignore how well the Eagles are playing in the preseason so that they were basically the uncrowned Super Bowl champion going into week one. And then the regular season started and it all kind of started to slowly but surely fall apart. What exactly went wrong for the Eagles when the game started to count? (laughs) Where to begin? Um, (laughs) 2015 was definitely a, a very long year, I would say, for the Eagles. It was it was one, as you said, that you know the expectations were so high. Uh, you know, it wasn't just Eagles fans going out and being optimistic. I mean, you had like Adam Schefter tweeting out that the Eagles were his Super Bowl pick. Uh, other ESPN personalities, I think, they did like a, you know, a prediction poll, and a couple ESPN writers had the Eagles making it there. So, so did I, I actually, King. to be honest with you. See, exactly. Uh, Peter King, I think, had him making like the NFC Championship game. So it wasn't just you know this thing where like Eagles fans were being delusional as much as everyone was being delusional about them. And uh, I, I just think 2015 was about kind of the the expose or exposing Chip Kelly. And prior to 2015, a lot of people had faith in Chip, and he had earned that because you know the Eagles had went uh, they they'd gotten 20 wins in their first two seasons. Not so easy to do. And then all of a sudden, you know, Chip Kelly takes over the personnel department after the 2014 season is over, pushes Howie Roseman out, and, you know, it just, the, the personnel moves that were made, they weren't great. You know, obviously bringing in DeMarco Murray didn't work out. You know, Sam Bradford was average at best. So, you know, Chip Kelly kind of built this team. It was his team, and it just didn't work out. It was flawed. Uh, the offense kind of it was especially problematic. It was just too predictable, and uh, it was just not efficient or effective at all. They ran a lot of plays, but they didn't run a, a lot of plays efficiently. The yards weren't there. The points weren't there. Uh, so it was really just 2015, again, really about the, just the, the decline and the ultimate end of the Chip Kelly era. And it really wore out the, the defense. I mean, it ended up producing what statistically ended up being like the worst defense in the NFL, did it not? Yeah, that's always a, a big thing, too. Uh, it's funny because the Eagles' defense was easily the strength of the team for uh, the first half of the season. If you go by, like, football outsiders metrics, they were ranked something like number two in DVOA. So, I mean, this defense really wasn't as bad, at least I believe, as it looked. I think it was just a product of, as you mentioned, playing so many snaps and, and, and you know by the end of the year having to basically be the only thing the team can rely on. It's just... Uh, for them to be that good and to, to collapse like that, it's, and for not only just past last season too, I mean, we saw this in 2014 uh, again where the Eagles just, you know, they, they were better earlier in the season and they just totally collapsed down the stretch. So, yeah, the offense definitely had an effect on the defense and it, it really put them in a rough spot. So it, it basically, you know, like to what, you're, you're, what you're saying is it, it sounds like um – you know, Chip Kelly is perfect for college, but eventually that schedule will wear on the players. And it, and it seems like, you know, where most rookies hit the wall in the NFL their first year is kind of where the team would hit the wall because this this kind of, uh, you know, scheme and, and plan is only good for so many games. And in the NFL, there are just too many to sustain it. That's kind of what happened. And it's a shame because I think, you know, a lot of people wanted the Chip Kelly era to work out and 
it's kind of a, a shame to have all the people who it's funny because when Chip Kelly came into the league, you had all those people saying it wouldn't work. And and it did work. In 2013, you know, the Eagles set records and they had one of the best offenses in the NFL. So it's not like Chip, you know, was a total failure. And again, you look back at those those 20 wins in the first two seasons and even even he had what 26 in the first 3 before he got fired. So, you know, there's there's head coaches who have been much worse. So I don't want to totally be like, you know, you know, Chip is this huge failure, but ultimately, you know, just didn't work out for the Eagles and they had to move on. So where exactly did he lose the locker room? Do you think that there was a moment last season or a game where you could really just see a difference from one week to the next? I think the season started to get away from the team after they, they lost to Miami. The Miami Dolphins, they were up in that game and they kind of lost control. And that Miami team wasn't very good at all. They were very bad. And, and for the Eagles to be at home and to have a lead on that team and to to manage to lose that game somehow, I think that's kind of where the season got away. And then they played the, the Buccaneers and they got killed. And then they went to Detroit and just totally got embarrassed on Thanksgiving. So the season really just got away at the middle point there. But as far as like losing the locker room and things like that, I think those kind of things just added up over time. And obviously the losing doesn't help with that. I think uh, the methods of Know, how the Eagles practice really fast but don't necessarily have the best instruction during that practice and just and obviously the the snaps uh, piling up by the end of the year and things like that I think those are the things that kind of just over time you know the players got turned off on and and the fact that we saw quite a few players talk about how chip wasn't necessarily the most personable guy and I think that might have turned off some players as well so do you think it was a mistake that San Francisco gave him another shot or should we have jettisoned him back to college where his system, you know, was extremely successful? I, I think the 49ers are, are going to be very bad. And it's not just because of Chip because uh, the 49ers were really bad last year and probably worse than their record even indicated. Yeah. They had like they had the worst or second worst point differential in the league. I don't even know how they won five games. I think that's kind of a miracle how they did that. And uh, it's not a good situation. I just don't see Chip really being the answer to turn things around there. Yeah, if you want to talk about miracles for San Francisco, look at week 13 against the Bears <laughs> last year. There were, I mean, and I've said this a thousand times. I've even said it to the San Francisco guy that I talked to earlier uh, this summer was, uh, you know, in that game against the 49ers, the Bears had six things that that kept the 49ers in the game. If only one of them doesn't happen, the Bears win the game in regulation, and the 49ers, you know, won it in overtime and everything. And the, that's how the 49ers won games last year. So don't even get me started about that one. We'll be here all day. So, so we move into the into the off season. You know, mercifully the the 2015 season ends. Um, and despite it all, the Eagles finish in second place because basically the season went crumbling around just about everybody in the NFC East uh, last year, which I think may have added to the frustration because despite how how poorly the Eagles were playing at times, the division was ripe for the taking pretty much right up until the end. Yeah, the Eagles were in it until Week 16. I mean, if they win that Week, week 16 game against Washington – uh, I think they pretty much would have clinched the NFC East or, or they would have had a very good chance to, and that's just insane given how poorly they played through the year and everything like that. I mean, I mean, look at Washington who won the division. They didn't beat a single team with a winning record all year. I mean, that's just how bad the NFC East is, and, and it kind of still is really bad. You know, we're looking at this year, and uh, for, for people who are kind of down on the Eagles, and, and I'm not expecting them to be great, but you just look at this division, and they're almost – you know, in the mix by default because you look at the Cowboys, they only won four games last year. Uh, they're going to get Romo and Des back, but, you know, Romo still has injury concerns. He's not a guy who's necessarily, you know, guaranteed to make it through the season. Uh, you look at the Giants, they've been bad. They spent a lot of money trying to fix that defense, but Steve Spagnuolo is still the defensive coordinator and, and he's been proven to be bad. You know, he's bad with the Saints and he's had some really bad defenses with the Giants. And then you look at Washington again. Like I go back to the fact that they didn't even beat a team with a winning record all year last year. Kirk Cousins has never beaten the team with a winning record, and they're relying on him. So I just I don't see you know where this division is really going to be. There's a favorite, and I, I just think it's going to be wide open again. You know, and and I definitely agree with you. 
the two outer divisions that the Bears play this year, the NFC East, the AFC South, both appear to be divisions, in my opinion at least, that um, you know I wouldn't be surprised to be basically see any combination of finishing you know rankings in, in in the division. You know I wouldn't be surprised if Houston repeated as champion or if the Jaguars just came out of nowhere and won that division. And you know same with the NFC East. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Redskins win it again. And then again, you never know that Doug Peterson might have the magic you know eight ball in his pocket that you know that west coast offense you know helps the team and the next thing you know the eagles are in first place and finishing you know i was like i know what everybody's opinions are going into it both the the magazines that i have have the eagles finishing last in the division uh this year but considering the division and the terrain that they have to maneuver this year i wouldn't be surprised to see it finish up the other way yeah and it would kind of be funny too just because of just how everything has gone and how you know, the expectations were so high last year, and now, as you said, you know, a lot of people have the Eagles projected to be last and things like that, and everyone's down on the Eagles. And it's kind of funny because, you know, they, for as bad as they were, and they were bad last year, and they still have a lot of issues, they were only 7-9 and nine last season, which really isn't terrible. Obviously, they weren't great, but, you know, it's not like they're this, this four-win team or anything. Uh, but, you know, looking into this season, I am kind of down on the Eagles just because you look at this offense – and there's just not a lot of talent there, and it starts with the quarterback and you know Sam Bradford. A lot of, pe- a lot of people have different opinions on him. I think you know, some Eagles fans were a little uh, overzealous with him and and looking at his final seven games of the season and kind of really getting s- excited about that. But you know, for the the most of his career, he's been mediocre at best. And even if he's playing good, uh, the injury history is still a big concern. So I just I don't think there's a lot of optimism for the Eagles especially when you look at the offense so let's talk about that for a second um of all the things that Chip Kelly did um the Eagles undid just about all of it in this past offseason Byron Maxwell's gone Kiko Alonso is gone um DeMarco Murray is gone I mean just about everyone that that Kelly had a hand in bringing into the organization is no longer with them why not undo the Sam Bradford experiment as well? That's the weird one, but I guess it makes sense in the in the context of like we were talking about earlier. The Eagles see the division as weak and still kind of uh, ripe for the taking because of that. So I think they figure that they look at Sam Bradford and they figure that you know he can kind of help them compete in the short term while they groom a rookie like Carson Wentz. Uh, to me, I wouldn't have brought Sam Bradford back. I just don't think it's it's really uh, the best use of resources. But uh, I guess the Eagles are kind of hoping that he plays well enough that they can trade him for a draft pick after the season, and that kind of offsets some of the picks they gave up to trade up and get Carson Wentz. Alternatively, you know, if Sam Bradford does come out here and plays really well. I mean, maybe they, they, you know, they're they're kind of hedging their bet at quarterback. They're not putting all their eggs in one basket. They're not just going out and, you know, trading up for Wentz and forcing him into the fire right away. Uh, they kind of like they split it up. They they tried to get Sam Bradford for basically one more year, even though it's a two-year deal. Uh, they brought in Chase Daniel, who knows the system from Kansas City, and obviously they traded up for Wentz, who's likely to be the team's franchise quarterback moving forward. But I, I, I can get behind the strategy of, you know, trying to hedge your bet and, and place your eggs over multiple baskets. We kind of saw Seattle do something similar, not exactly the same thing, but, you know, they they drafted Russell Wilson, they paid Matt Flynn, they traded for Charlie Whitehurst. So I, if you don't have that quarterback, you kind of, you know, you have to do everything you can to, to try to get one. And I don't hate the approach of doing whatever you can to do it. So what is peterson's plan uh at quarterback i mean they re-sign bradford they give a lot of money to chase daniel i mean more than than most been you know almost just about every other backup quarterback gets nowadays and then you give up a king's ransom of picks to trade up and get uh carson wentz any one of those moves is a statement move for any team and it was one team that made all three in a single off season so i mean is it that you know bradford's the man and daniel's going to be the backup and we're grooming Wentz or is it we're going to have an all-out competition in in camp and see who comes out ahead well the Eagles split reps evenly in OTAs and minicamp uh quarterback so uh there things are kind of quote-unquote even right now but I, I do think Bradford's going to be the guy he's always the guy getting the first team reps 
Uh, I think the Eagles, you know, they, they think he's the best option in the short term. I don't think it's impossible that either Daniel or Wentz could beat him out, but they would have to look really good, and Bradford would have to look really, really bad in the preseason and training camp and things like that. So I don't think it's realistic, but I think, you know, to start the season, Bradford is the guy. We'll see how long he can stay healthy. I don't think he'll have a long leash if he starts to struggle. You know, I think the Eagles could pull him, and I do think it would be Daniel in there before Wentz because they, they really seem intent on letting Wentz sit and learn the offense and get adjusted to the NFL and things like that. I think the the ideal scenario for the Eagles or what they're realistically hoping is that Bradford comes in. He plays kind of well enough, not great, you know, not great enough to, to prove he's the team's long-term answer, but just good enough to where they can try to trade him after the season and maybe get a third-round pick or a second-round pick or something to kind of offset that package of picks they gave up for Wentz. So thoughts on, on Doug Peterson uh, coming in? Because looking at the, you know, the list of candidates that the Eagles are entertaining before hiring Doug Peterson like Adam Gase who was the coordinator for the Bears and had a you know storied career as coordinator for John Fox in Denver uh you know with Peyton Manning um Tom Coughlin was even talked about there for a while uh for it for them to you know pick Peterson in the end what was the what was the thought your thought and then the opinion of, of the fan base when that hire was made well you had talked about you know how the Eagles have undone a lot of the moves to Kelly has made offseason with getting rid of Maxwell and Alonzo and Murray and things like that. I think you know the Doug Peterson hire is the Eagles' attempt to almost undo the whole Chip Kelly era because uh, you look at you know where he's coming from and he's he's obviously a direct disciple of Andy Reid, Philadelphia's old head coach, and right. the the Eagles had a lot of success under Andy Reid, and I think they're trying to do their best to replicate that. I think. I'm kind of conflicted when it comes to that because I think there's some merit to that idea. I think, you know, sure, why not? If you saw a model that works and they saw it firsthand and they had one, it was a really good model uh, with Andy Reid, a good head coach, and Donovan McNabb, a franchise quarterback, you know, why not try to replicate that? You know, the Eagles made it to the Super Bowl, they made it to four NFC championship games. You know, but we don't really know if Doug Peterson is the right guy just because he's a disciple of Andy Reid, and we don't really know if that's the best idea to try to recreate something because it, it might not be that simple as, as trying to recreate that as much as, you know, uh, there could have been a better idea, a more innovative idea. But for, you know, for the Eagles, this is what they chose, and Doug Peterson is here now. Uh, it's kind of discouraging, I, I would say, that, uh, a lot of other teams didn't really have him on their radar. It kind of just feels like the Eagles uh, got locked into trying to bring back the days of Andy Reid and just said, you know, we're going to hire Doug Peterson and and that's going to be the guy. And and we don't even know necessarily if that was their first choice as much as it could have been just a safe fallback option for them because, like as you said, they were rumored to be interested in Gase. Uh, it was reported that they wanted to hire McAdoo, who the Ben McAdoo, who the Giants ended up hiring as their head coach. So uh, Peterson isn't necessarily the most impressive or inspiring hire. I think you know he has a lot of uh, he has a lot to prove, to be honest. So Philly fans, as I'm sure you know, are notoriously uh, are, are notoriously some of the most ruthless when it comes to showing their. True? You know, I I I tend I remember an incident where they throw snowballs at Santa Claus. Uh, I think that's one of the the most uh, you know uh, famous uh, shows of of affection that the Philly fans have out there. Um, how patient do you think that the fan base is prepared to be with the situation the Eagles find them in? I mean, a year ago at this time we had Super Bowl aspirations, and here we are. You know, are, are are the Eagles rebuilding right now, or are we expecting a quick turnaround with uh, with the team? What what are the expectations right now? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Eagles fans are going to be happy or, or super patient if the, if the team isn't good this year, but I do think there is some nuance to it. I do think there is some understanding that, you know, I don't think most people are expecting the team to compete for a championship this year. You know, they look at this offense and they know there's holes. They They know that Carson Wentz, who's supposed to be the franchise quarterback of the future, probably isn't going to play a lot. So it's not like people are going to suddenly expect Sam Bradford, who's essentially a lame duck and a placeholder, to really carry the team to some kind of meaningful you know, playoff stretch or anything like that. So I think you know expectations are naturally tempered by that sense. 
Uh, you look at what the Eagles have done this offseason. They've extended a lot of their own young players. They're kind of trying to build a core. So as, uh, it's not a total rebuild in the sense that, again, that the NFC East is so weak that they could realistically compete for a playoff spot, maybe even win one playoff game, but I don't really see too much more than that. And I don't think fans expect much more than that. So I think you know, if, uh, Eagles fans are kind of be willing to be somewhat patient. Uh, I think what everyone's really looking forward to see is the development of Wentz, and I think the fact that he might not play this season is kind of going to you know, upset people in that regard, especially if the season gets away from the team and they're, and they're bad late in the year. But overall, I think you know, uh, this is kind of expected to be somewhat of a rebuilding year, and I think you know, there's going to be a lot more pressure on the team whenever Wentz does take over, which is probably next year. So any offseason move, I mean, because the, the quarterback move kind of dominated, you know, the highlights for what the Eagles did in the offseason. And, you know, they just made headlines, uh, you know, in the last week or so with that monster contract they gave to to Fletcher Cox. But were there, were there any moves, any signings or, or deals that they made, uh, draft picks uh, at all that the Eagles made that you're especially looking forward to? Like, oh, I'm glad we got our hands on this guy. I would say, I'm going to turn it around and be a little uh, unconventional, I would say the hire of Jim Schwartz is really the big thing for Eagles fans that okay. you know they're excited about, uh, more so than any personnel move, just because what he, he brings to the Eagles you know, is a resume, a strong resume. I mean, you look at this guy and Jim Schwartz, and the last three times he was a defensive coordinator only, and not counting the, his tenure as head coach in Detroit, He's had top seven defenses. You know that Bills defense in 2014 was really good, and yeah. and he only lost his job because you know uh, the whole the whole coaching change up there with Doug Marone and everything. It's not like he got fired because he was bad or something. It was right. kind of just a, a weird situation there. So Jim Schwartz is a really good defensive coach. I think you know what he brings to this team in terms of being able to to utilize some of these players like uh, keeping Vinnie Curry. And moving him from three four defensive end, where he was kind of miscast and asked to you know react and or to, to you know to two gap and and to kind of control the gaps instead of just exploding into the backfield, which is his strength. And the same thing goes for Fletcher Cox. You know, he, I think you know the, the, his scheme and everything. I think you know for as bad as this Eagles defense was last year, and some of those raw numbers we talked about earlier, and I think some people might think that. Eagles defense is worse than it is. I think you know the the defense. The Eagles defense could see a quicker turnaround than expected because of Jim Schwartz and and what he's able to do with this unit. You know that was going to be my next question. Like what you know, <laughs> what do you what do you guys think about the hiring of uh, Jim Schwartz? I mean, as a as a Bears fan, I can tell you the guy is a grade A douchebag. Um, <laughs> you know, if there was there was a team that a I hated playing and b I hated losing to, it was Detroit. While Schwartz was at the helm i mean there's just nothing redeemable about the guy as far as what i've encountered in the five or six years that he was head coach in detroit but like you said he he built his name being the dc in in tennessee had great defenses there did a great job in in buffalo as well before doug marone lost his mind and did what he decided to do and just walk away uh from buffalo and um you know He's got some pieces to play with as far as, you know, what the Eagles have and a bunch of guys that are probably better suited for the scheme that he's bringing in. Yeah, I think a lot of fans are excited about him. Again, you look at the defensive line, especially with Cox and Curry and Brandon Graham and, and Connor Barwin and Benny Logan and guys like that. I think they're they're going to be able to get after the quarterback. They're You know, they're bringing the wide nine back. They're, uh, there still are some depth issues on the defense with the cornerback and and linebacker and things like that. But overall, I think, you know, the Eagles defense is easily expected to be the strength of the team this year. I think uh, the way I, I put it is the Eagles defense is probably going to prevent them from being one of the bottom teams, but I think the offense is going to prevent them from being you know, like a good team. Right. So what were the your thoughts about the Eagles making that move to jump from well, – I mean, they started at 13 – they made the trade with Miami, uh, giving up Alonzo and, and Maxwell to move up to number eight, and then gave up you know quite a bit more to jump from eight to number two to put themselves in a position to take one of the quarterbacks. And what were your thoughts about the Eagles making that move? I think it was a move they needed to make. I mean, you look at what this franchise has had 
since Donovan McNabb's era or tenure in Philadelphia ended, and it, it hasn't been great. I mean, there's been flashes. Uh, the Eagles tried Michael Vick. They tried Sam Bradford. They tried Nick Foles. They tried Kevin Cobb. I mean, it's, it's anything they tried really just wasn't sustainable in the long term. I think they figured, you know, look, we need to get back into the draft and try to build this thing from the ground up. I think you look at Howie Roseman, and one of the biggest criticisms that I've had of him is that, you know, that he hasn't been able to identify a franchise quarterback and thus also hasn't really been able to win a playoff game since he's, he's taken over as GM. So uh, I think it was a move the Eagles needed to make. Uh, everyone wanted to do it last year when, when Mariota was on the board and, Obviously, Tennessee kind of just turned down the deal, so that didn't happen. But this year was kind of more of a unique situation where teams at the top of the draft didn't necessarily need quarterbacks. So it was a good opportunity for the Eagles. And, you know, if, if Wentz gets this thing going, I mean, they're going to be set for years to come. I think an, another kind of underrated aspect of that trade is you look at a lot of quarterbacks in the league, you know, Brady and, and guys like that, and they're going to be retiring soon. So the ideally, you know, Wentz is going to be on the upswing when those guys are are going to be gone, and other teams are going to be in need of those franchise quarterbacks. So for as much as high of a price the Eagles paid now, you know that could be low compared to what you know some of these teams are going to uh, be desperate for in the future. Overall, I think you know, but if Wentz doesn't work out, it's kind of a good thing in the sense that the the, the regime will, that's in place right now will obviously have to answer for that, and they'll be gone, and the Eagles can kind of just move move on from there I think it's, it's a good spot to be in because it's kind of just like pass or fail and the, the organization will know where to go from here so the, the Eagles actually no, no one in the division really aside from Washington making their splash with Josh Norman no one in the division was really aggressive uh, in the offseason at least compared to what I saw in the AFC South with the Jaguars and, and the Texans being really aggressive in free agency and then obviously Tennessee made their splash with the with their draft um, of this year, but uh, in in the NFC it was kind of quiet as far as you know making moves. The Eagles were probably the most active, and they did spent most of their energy undoing uh, what Chip Kelly uh, had done uh, going into last season uh, on the on the in the free agency side. I think I already asked you this, but we we jumped to the Jim Schwartz thing. Was there anybody that they did sign that you were excited that they got a hold of? I think uh, you look at the offensive line and how they were in need of help. The Eagles really needed two new offense, starting offensive guards after, especially how bad they were in 2015. And they got Brandon Brooks from the Texans. I think that was a big signing just to plug him in there at right guard, big athletic guy. Uh, I think that's an instant upgrade. For as much as the Eagles' offense has concerns, I think they did improve on the offensive line. And that's a good thing for them to have as they start to slowly build around Wentz. I also think you look at the defense and look at a guy like Rodney McLeod, uh, young talent. I think he's only 25, good safety for the Rams. And and now with Jenkins and McLeod, the Eagles themselves feel like they have one of the best safety tandems in the league with, with uh, again, Jenkins, who was a pro bowler last year, and McLeod, who's a guy who's on the rise. So I think, you know, we talked about the Eagles' defense and being excited about the defensive line and things like that. I think the back end is also really strong and because of the McLeod signing. So looking at the schedule, it um, kind of looks like the Eagles drew the short straw on bye weeks because they got bye week in week number four yeah. uh, for the Eagles. And... You know, I, I kind of jotted down in my notes here. I guess this can only be a good thing if, you know, Bradford is terrible and they want to set the set the stage for Daniel or, or Wentz to kind of take over after after the bye. But, I mean, even three games really isn't going to be enough to I – mean, unless he is epically bad, mm -hmm. Bradford's probably going to survive that first three weeks as, as quarterback. But th that early bye week could not have come as a welcome thing when the schedule came out. Yeah, the schedule – as a whole isn't super favorable to the Eagles. They have a really tough stretch, uh, I believe, from week 11 where they go to play in Seattle. They come home, play the Packers on Monday night, and then it's a short week trip to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. So, I mean, uh, you know, not exactly super favorable. The one good thing they have for them, you know, again, we keep coming back to how bad the NFC East is, and, and that's part of why the Eagles have a, a hope this season. Uh, the Eagles play at home against Washington, 
New York and Dallas in the final four weeks of the season. There's a game away at the Ravens mixed in there in week 15. But the Eagles do kind of have a chance at the end of the season there to to take control of things. And and depending how they are at that point in the season, if they're still alive, which they might be again because the division is so bad, uh, they kind of have their 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 own. They they're able to control their own destiny, so to speak, at the end there. Yeah, I mean, and and you also have the. Uh the AFC North uh, along with the NFC North and um, you know it's um, both of those divisions are top heavy you know you have uh, Green Bay is from almost always the contender Minnesota had a good year but they've never really been known for sustaining success year to year it's that's going to be Mike Zimmer's big job this year for the Vikings is being able to do it again and then on the NFC North it's Pittsburgh can can the the Ravens rebound from last year. Cleveland is what they are. And then you have Cincinnati and you've got to think that Marvin Lewis is going to order gas eventually, you know, <laughs> until they finally move on to another head coach there. So, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a gauntlet that the, that the Eagles have to run in order to have, you know, to be able to put something together. But I do like that, that last, that last four weeks home for Washington at Baltimore, home for the giants, home for Dallas to, to finish out the string if uh you know if the eagles are even close there towards the end that's going to be the time for them to put it together but as we've already talked about the last part of the year is where the eagles have run into their trouble Mm -hmm. you know hopefully they've still got enough gas in the tank at the end to be able to make a run at it yeah i think i have them predicted around eight and eight i think that's kind of realistic best case scenario i don't think they're going to be too much better than that i think more of the 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 maybe more realistic overall would be about six and ten. Uh, again, it comes down to that final stretch, I think, and and what happens down there, and if they can kind of take some of these division games. I think you know they've struggled with Washington in recent years. Uh, they own the New York Giants. The Eagles are like thirteen and three in the last sixteen against New York. Wow. And then Dallas. It's funny with the Cowboys. The Eagles can almost never beat them at home. But then again. Uh, it's the opposite when the Eagles play down in Dallas. It's the, the Eagles are almost always beat them down there. Yeah, even beat them in uh, what? In beat them in overtime last year down there, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's one of the one of the few wins in the second half of the season was was uh, oh right at the the midpoint of the year thirty three twenty seven as I'm looking at mm-hmm. last year's uh, schedule. So. So you're thinking six and six and ten on on the low side, eight and eight on on the high side for the team this year? Yeah, that's about right. I think you know if if you know things could always get worse, things have the potential to get worse, especially with the offense. But overall, I think it's kind of somewhere in between that six and ten, eight and eight range. So tell me, um, you know, I I I sometimes I ask this question at the beginning, sometimes I ask it uh, at the end. Looks like we're gonna you know pretty much close on this one but you know uh, how long have you been an Eagles fan has this been a lifelong thing was there a certain game that you watched and then they became your squad I mean are you from the Philly area how did how did it all come together for you yeah I'm from the area and I've been following the team I guess since about 2000 since early 2000s I think uh, one of the big things that got me interested in the team uh, other than being more casually interested when I was younger, was just the T.O. signing and how, how big that was and how, every, how excited everyone was. I mean, I kind of didn't appreciate it at the time fully because I was younger, but I remember hearing stories about how uh, people were just, there was like record numbers of people just showing up at Eagles training camp because this was a team that had gone to those, those three straight NFC championship games and they'd finally got that just huge piece that was probably going to put them over the top. And sure enough, it did. They made, they did make the Super Bowl, and and Tio was hurt, uh, but he he still played, and he had a pretty good game for being hurt and not a hundred percent. But of course, the Eagles didn't get it done. Uh, they fell to the Patriots, who who probably cheated, but we might not. We don't know that for sure. <laughs> but you know, we could, they probably did. So it, it all goes back to the early two thousands and the success of the Reed era and, and McNabb and everything like that, and Dawkins too. I mean, talk about. I mean, Tio. I mean, there was a guy and. You know, he comes in. There's a lot of of hoopla. They they make the trade to bring T.O. into town, and then the guy is absolutely everything that a you needed him to be, and everything you wanted him to be for that magical season in 2004. And then literally a year later, 
you can't wait to throw him out of town after he is, you know, his his uh, relationship with McNabb goes into the toilet. He the basically, you know, the the the, the press turn him into a, a media circus, and he just becomes a cancer to the organization. I mean, it, it, I was astounded by how quickly it happened. It wasn't like a gradual thing. It was he's the the crown prince of Philadelphia one day, and then he's literally, you know, the trash the next day and you can't wait to throw him out of town and then to add insult you know insult to injury he goes to Dallas. Yeah, it was a shame. I mean, he was he was coming in and he was like the chosen one wide receiver. Eagles fans wanted a tall receiver so bad and they always have and probably still do and it just he was the guy and there's no doubt in my mind that the Eagles, you know, probably do win the Super Bowl that year if he's healthy or if not then they probably win another one in the coming years if if he was able to, to to you know, keep his head on straight and you know, keep under control and, and everything kind of smoothed over and worked out in future seasons. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind you know, the Eagles are winning a championship if, if T.O. You know, stayed healthy and stayed in Philadelphia. So, do you, is, so would that, like, win, finally winning the NFC championship, Atlanta, would that rank as your, your favorite Eagles moment or is there another one? Uh, that has to be up there. I mean, obviously, just because it had been up to a point where they hadn't been in a very long time, and, and really only once before. Uh, there's there's been a, a bunch of fun Eagles moments over the years. Uh, you look at obviously the miracle at the Meadowlands number two, as it's called, with Deshaun Jackson returning that punt against the Giants, oh, yeah. and and Eagles fans will easily have that as one of their top games. I mean, there's no way the Eagles should have even won that game, should have even been in that game, and somehow they won it on a walk-off punt return. Just one of the craziest games probably have ever seen, and. Not just the NFL, but all sports. Just really incredible. Uh, I, so I'd have to put that up there as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I forgot about uh, forgot about that one. Another one that comes to mind um, for me is uh, fourth and twenty fourth and twenty six. Fourth and twenty six. Freddie yeah. Mitchell. Yeah, Freddie Mitchell, and uh, you know, it was just one of those that game, especially. I remember watching and uh, Favre. You know, with that that, that that last interception that he threw there. It's terrible. At the, I mean, it's like, it's just it's like, this guy is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, <laughs> but he is littered with moments like that where you're just like, what the hell was he? I mean, even, even being a fan of the team that benefited from his stupidity, you mm -hmm. just sit there and you're like, why did he do that? Felt too easy, really. I yeah. Mean, it was like, like he just punted the ball with his arm. Just like, did he have money on the Eagles or something? <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, why would he do that? And, uh, you know, he had moments like that littered throughout his career. I mean, obviously, there's way more brilliance than stupidity, but he had moments like that, and even in key situations. I mean, even looking at the, the 07 championship game against the Giants where he, yeah. he throws that pick that set up the field goal that won the Giants that game. It's like, what were you thinking about with that throw, man? Just, um, you know, and a couple years later, with the, the the Vikings and the Saints in the right. NFC Championship game, throwing across the field, across his body. Yep. That's like number one and two in the don't list for quarterbacks. <laughs> and he violated them both, and it cost them another trip to the to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, but fourth and 26 is always uh, a favorite moment of, uh, of mine. And then just as a football fan, um, the Eagles almost uh, setting fire to uh, Radio City Music Hall when they drafted McNabb. Because they didn't say, because they didn't draft Ricky Williams, you know there were there were people, and I remember guys painted faces and the whole nine yards wearing Ricky Williams authentic jerseys, like they yeah. spent the money have custom made Ricky Williams jerseys, and they drafted McNabb, and those guys were pissed. Yeah, the Dirty Thirty, as they're known. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, think about how different the 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 whole mode of the Eagles ends up being if Andy Reid's first pick is Ricky Williams and not Donovan McNabb. Yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's huge. I mean, that, and that's, the, again, going back to the where they are presently, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like, finally, for once, getting the guy who, who you know, could have the potential to set this thing up as a team that contends year after year. Instead of getting, you know, sitting at eight, they could have sat at eight and got, what, like a running back or, or no, they couldn't have because Zeke wouldn't have fallen there, but maybe a, a cornerback or offensive lineman or, or someone, but like, what does that really change? That doesn't really move the needle. So that's uh, going back to your question earlier about you know being on board with the quarterback move. I think it comes back to that, and 
and trying to take that risk and have that peace that potentially sets this team up for years to come. Right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us, Brandon. I really appreciate you, um, you know, coming into the uh, into the show and then uh, helping us kind of wade through what the Eagles have been through the last uh, couple of seasons and what you have to look forward to in in 2016. And uh, you're one of the early games this year, yeah. uh, national TV, the Bears' home opener uh, on Monday Night Football, of all things. So, um, we, you know, we'd love to have you back during the regular season to preview that game. And uh, you know, basically, we'll be talking about how about that. You know, how about the preseason? Did uh, did the Eagles set it on fire like they did last year, <laughs> or did they set reasonable expectations for the season uh, going into it? So we'd love to have you back for that uh, to preview that Monday night game. Yeah, I'd be glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Okay, and where can we find you online? Uh, you can read me at bleedinggreennation.com. You can check out our podcast at BGN Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. That's B R A N. D-O-N-G-O-W-T-O-N. You can follow the Bleeding Green Nation account at Bleeding Green on Twitter. And also check us out on Facebook, Bleeding Green Nation. Awesome. So if you got the uh, need for Eagles news, you guys know where to go. Brandon Gowton, thanks so much for helping us preview the Eagles for 2016. Sure thing. And we want, of course, want to thank Brandon for being on the show. And uh, won't be that long a break before we see him again because, like I said, we get him week number two, home opener for the Bears on Monday Night Football. Looking forward uh, to that one, to seeing where the teams are after the preseason. Uh, how did they handle the first week of the year? Did the Bears beat the Texans down in Houston and so on? Uh, you know, should be an interesting uh, should be an interesting ball game and see how, uh, how the Bears respond in their, their home opener. Uh, see if we can get <laughs> only our second home victory in the John Fox era uh, with that uh, that game against uh, against the Eagles. And, you know, real interesting conversation we had with Brandon. Lots covered there with the uh, with the Eagles and undoing the Chip Kelly thing, bringing in Doug Peterson, who's basically like, kind of like bringing Andy Reid back. I mean, he's even going to be bringing the same offense that Andy Reid was running while he was there and all his uh, in tenure in, in Philadelphia. So it was kind of a, a weird move if you if you, you step back and look at it uh, that way. But, um, you know, I think the, the, the most interesting part for me was there at the end talking about uh, Terrell Owens. And, uh, you know, there's a guy. It's, it is a shame that, uh, you know, he – personality-wise, he just couldn't seem to get out of his own way uh, at times. This is a guy, production-wise, numbers-wise, he absolutely had a Hall of Fame career, you know, and it, it's it's a, it's a tarnish on his career that he played for so many teams because it meant that, you know, not that he was uh, an up-and-down guy, it's just that he wore out his welcome just about everywhere that he went, and they had no choice but to, to move on from him you know production be damned you're bad for our football team get out of here kind of thing and it 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 gets into a touchy area with um you know like like people saying that uh you know should we have voted lawrence taylor into the hall of fame with you know his drug problems and hiring prostitutes and and all that kind of stuff when when the you know the hall of fame is is supposed to strictly be about your production on the field, not the person that you were off of it. And the reason that I bring that up with Terrell Owens is obviously he's eligible for the Hall of Fame, upset that he didn't make it as in the third ballot this, this past year. But it also kind of leads us to a conversation a few years down the road with Brandon Marshall. I mean, here's a guy, productive as all can be in Denver, but wears out his welcome there. They ship him off to Miami. They literally play his two or three seasons in Miami without a quarterback, and yet he puts out astounding numbers. Wears out his welcome in Miami. We bring him. Phil Emery brings him to Chicago. He has production from a receiver like we've never seen in the history of our storied franchise. No one has ever been more productive at wide receiver than uh, Brandon Marshall was in his time. But again is a cancer in the locker room, isn't the kind of guy that Ryan Pace wants to build his new regime around, sends him 
off to the Jets, where for now he is, you know, he had a, another productive season uh, with the Jets. But again, you know, not that he's wearing out his welcome in New Jer- in in, in uh, New York at this time, but the guy that can't keep his mouth shut uh, in the in the in the press about the Ryan Fitzpatrick quarterback situation. You know, I don't want to play for anybody if you know if Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't my quarterback, we're gonna suck this year. Saying things like that is a recipe for let's get Brandon Marshall out of town again when he's been absolutely productive everywhere he went, same as Terrell Owens. Now, granted, Brandon Marshall isn't as crazily outspoken as Terrell Owens was and doesn't have as many you know, press conference moments or anything like that. We're not going to find Brandon Marshall doing sit-ups in his driveway like they did with T.O. With back in the day. But this is also a guy that if you strictly look at the numbers – Brandon Marshall is absolutely putting together a Hall of Fame career. But the fact that he, you know, that regardless of how productive he was, he hasn't been able to stay anywhere for more than three, four seasons. And he's got the longevity. He's got the numbers. He's got the production. But people can't wait to get him out of town. In the end, you wonder. Like, I, I definitely think that eventually Brandon Marshall can make the Hall of Fame. He's got the numbers to back it up, the production. No matter where he goes, he's the best receiver on his team uh, and so on. But, you know, you wonder if he makes the Hall of Fame, how many votes is it going to take to get him in? How many how many years past his eligibility is Brandon Marshall going to have to wait for the the sports writers and, and guys that make the votes that, that get you in before they go off to ignore the fact that, yeah, Brandon Marshall played for six different teams, not because he was an up-and-down yo-yo guy, but because he couldn't keep his mouth shut, he wore out his welcome, and the organization decided to get rid of him, that it would be more beneficial to, to, to live without him than it would be to keep his – 100 catches and 1,200 yards a season, you know, on the team. So you wonder. We're watching that happen with T.O. right now. Despite the fact that he played for half a dozen teams, he was productive every single place that he went, regardless of their quarterback situation. I mean, like we talked about with the Eagles in 2004, he was unbelievably productive. He was the hero of Super Bowl 39. If the Eagles win, he's most definitely their MVP uh, of Super Bowl 39. But... You know, just the guy the following year is thrown out of town. He goes to Dallas. They get rid of him, too, uh, and everything. And he ping-pongs around the NFL uh, after that, uh, you know, never really finding a home uh, again. And Brandon Marshall, not as, you know, much of a media circus as Terrell Owens, but in the same vein as T.O., is extremely productive no matter where he goes, but can't seem to find a home within any uh, organization and keeps getting tossed around um you know for for draft picks here draft picks there uh, you know you go there and yeah he's great for a year or two but past that he becomes a problem and you're going to be looking to get rid of him so you you kind of wonder how much that's going to affect Brandon Marshall or when it's when it's his time to get voted into the Hall of Fame will they be able to just look at his numbers and say hey this guy you know his his the, the true story of his greatness is that no matter where he was, he was productive. He made multiple Pro Bowls, regardless of who his quarterback was, this guy or that guy, Jay Cutler, Josh McCown, uh, you know Ryan Tannehill, uh, you know whoever it was, he was able to get it done and be productive and be the guy. Uh, or are they going to look about the fact that you know look how productive he was, but they kept showing throwing him off to other teams? Is this really somebody we want in the Hall of Fame? So. You know, you wonder how that might affect Brandon Marshall uh, down the road when uh, when it comes to his day to get voted into Canton. How many years will he have to wait before the sports writers ignore that? Just look at his numbers and get him get him his golden jacket. So, you know, just a little something that that kind of came to mind when we were talking about about T.O. is that I love Brandon Marshall. I was not happy when we got rid of him. I understand why. I understand why. Uh. Ryan Pace did it. In the end, I think it will be better for the team. Um, but uh, you know, I still hate the move. I missed. We definitely missed him last year. That's for sure. With Kevin White, you know, not being able to play, Alshon Jeffrey in and out of the lineup, it would have been really great to have a stabilizing figure in Brandon Marshall uh, out there because he was healthy all year for the Jets. So would have been a great thing to have, uh, not only for the team but for Jay Cutler, who had literally no one else to throw the ball to last year. 
I mean, think about, I mean, that that move definitely looked bad with the way the wide receiver situation turned out last year and uh, with how well he played in, in with the Jets and they almost made the playoffs and so on. But, um, you know, I'll always miss Marshall. I thought it was great when we had him here. It's just too bad that, you know, he couldn't seem to get out of his own way again and had to be shown the door uh, for the third time uh, in his career. So we'll see. We'll see how that all works out. I mean, this is something we're talking about. With the way that Marshall is playing, it's probably still a decade down the road. The guy's a, a an athletic freak. He is uh you know as healthy as they come. So we'll see uh, when that day comes. How will it all turn out for for Brandon? So that is going to do it for the for part three of our NFC East preview with the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, when we come back, part number four, we close the book on the NFC East and talk about the Washington Redskins who came from out of nowhere to win the uh, less-than-stellar NFC East division last year. And as you heard Brandon say, did it by not beating one winning team the whole season. So what do the Redskins have to look forward to? I mean, a year ago at this time, we were expecting maybe a brand-new head coach and uh, and everything, and now we got Jay Gruden, defending division champion uh, of the NFC East. What are what are Mike's thoughts? Mike Harar from Hogshaven on SBNation.com. What are his thoughts about what the Redskins were able to do, and uh, you know what is he looking forward to in 2016? Does he think the Eagle or the Eagles? Does he think the Redskins can pull it off again, uh, or will the NFC East right itself after an upside down 2015? All that and more. When we have Mike Carrar on the show next to close the book on the NFC East. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.